0: I think the biggest thing I see, and uh, this is kind of for emotion more, I think it's the belief. I think it's the belief that I, I'm going to build a scalable, world-class company here. So now people don't even, you know, if you go back, people were thinking about, can you build a hundred million dollar business? People are talking about billion dollars in different world, right? So I think the scale is totally different and the belief is, is a totally different level altogether, right? And of course, the, the quality of entrepreneurs also change a lot. I think we are seeing very much better talent coming in, you know, really, really good people who are leaving their jobs or, or coming out of uh, very good institutes and starting up uh, as teams.
1: Hello and welcome to the Startup Operator Podcast. I'm Roshan Karyapa. Manav Garg founded Eka Software in 2004 when there were just a handful of product companies around. The SaaS ecosystem in India has come a long way since then. Manav recently wrote and compiled a book called The India SaaS Story, where he gets Indian founders like Sri Vembo of Zoho, Girish Mathrabudam of Freshworks, Krish Subramaniam of Chargebee, Abhinav of uh, Postman and others to share real insights on important aspects like fundraising and hiring based on their experience. In this conversation, we discussed Manav's journey, the book itself, which I highly encourage everyone should get, and of course, the evolution of SaaS in India. This was a fascinating conversation. And without further ado, let's get started on this episode of the Startup Popular Podcast with Manav Karp. Hey Manav, welcome to the Startup Popular Podcast. Thank you so much for making the time. Thanks for having me, Roshan. Yeah. And uh, thank you also for writing and compiling this splendid book, the India SaaS story. I think it's a must read for SaaS founders and enthusiasts uh, everywhere. So we'll get to the book in a bit, but I thought I'd begin with revisiting some lessons from the pandemic, right? Lately, I'm just going back and listening to all of the stuff that was said there uh, at that time, including, you know, Sequoia's Black Swan blog, which is now famous and uh, so on. And I heard your SaaS Boomi podcast as well. And uh, I think the wisdom in it is, is timeless. I mean, it's easily relevant even now. I- I'm paraphrasing whatever you said, so I may get things slightly off, but you said something to the effect of don't try to be too smart and predict you know, when this will all be over, plan for the long term, nine to 12 months out uh, and look at your cash flows regularly, communicate with your employees, investors, customers, and so on, right? So all of which is uh, really relevant even now. So when you look back, what are some of those things that you were right about that you got uh, absolutely right? And what are some things that you you know you didn't get right?
0: I think my approach to any crisis, you know, in the life of an entrepreneur, you know, you go through ups and downs and I have a fairly long journey in entrepreneurship right now, you know, as compared to the startups today. So I think the, the key learning that I have is that stick to fundamentals, right? So when I made that point when pandemic hit, of course, there was a huge amount of uncertainty in the market and it was a black, it is a black zone, even and nobody know that, you know, how it will go to pan out. So in that case, what we looked at is fundamental. So fundamental of running any business is looking at your cash flows, right? Looking after your customers, looking after your employees. And of course looking after your investors and of course and looking after yourself which is mindfulness right which which, which i also speak for quite a bit so i think if you look at those fundamental principles what we talk about so whenever any crisis happens the first thing that can what can hurt the company most is not having cash because in any crisis situation cash is a scarce commodity cash becomes the king till such time there is more clarity there's more predictability i would say right then people are more comfortable investing behind the predictable scenarios right and take their own risk uh, assessment of the situation and give you the money so therefore managing your cash was the most important piece at that point in time therefore when you look at the cash it has to component as customers has to be happy so they can continue to give you cash and your employees has to be with you just in case you have to delay the salaries and a lot of lot of our companies in sas when we did delay salaries people did delay bonuses and and employees have been really really supportive you know in during that time frame right all of us kind of work together to get to the situation what i did not get right was there's an upside now is that the digital acceleration will be that fast if you look at it in that in that blog and in that webinar We never thought that, you know, we're going to look at 10x digitization. We didn't think that there's going to be a massive upside. And we didn't think that SaaS would become a secular trend, which it has become today now, right? We did a report with McKinsey where we're protecting SaaS to be trillion dollar market cap by 2030, right? And Indian SaaS can have 6% market share of that. So we could not think of the scale at that point in time, very frankly speaking. No clue. Right. Yeah. I mean,
1: I've seen this personally as well. I mean, how some of the large enterprises in Asia uh, have kind of sassified over the last two years is tremendous. Right. I also want to touch upon a few of your values, right, which I've gleaned from different places, one of which is passion with reason. And you, we talk about a few things you've read, Khalid Zibran, and so on. Right. So, when you look back at the last couple of years, uh, do any stories, anecdotes come to mind where, you know, this passion with reason was combined uh, uh, by either portfolio startups of yours uh, or, you know, any friends or anything that uh, any, any people that you saw uh, close to you?
0: Yeah, so I think we see it all the time. I'll give you some simple example. First right now, if you look at stock market did not behave as the whole world is going through crisis. There's a medical crisis, there's a personal <laughs> crisis, a business crisis and stock market went to the highest, right? so you go around in a room and all of your friends will say, you know, we are the best. I'm generating 30% return and 60% return. So people get passionate, right? There's no reason behind it. Right. So, so then you are in the frenzy of this passion. And then when the market suddenly turns around, which is turning around, then you end up losing money, right? Suddenly now people are thinking, Oh, what should I do with my investment? I, I started investment in that frenzy, right? So that is typically passion with reason is also equivalent of, you know, greed and fear in the stock markets, right? So that is a kind of analogy to think about it. So similarly, when you look at any startup journey, or like my own entrepreneur, journey, right? when you get your first few customers, you're very passionate. You think you got everything right. Your product is right. You are the best salesperson. You are You are the best product team. You're the best investors on board, right? Reason is what keeps you in check, which means if you look at the metrics, is customer really happy? Did you do survey? Did you meet them quite often? Did you go to market? Did you i going and in touch with your employees in a meaningful way that brings a little bit more of sense to the passion that you have and that is a constant struggle that entrepreneur goes through in your in, in your journey as an entrepreneur right so this is for example right now there is a frenzy of investment coming into saas mm. you know we're looking at seed capital valuation Crazy valuation. People are raising. You know, three years back you couldn't get even 500k. Now you can get 5 million dollars for seed capital, right? So now there's a lot more money chasing this ass as an asset class, right? As an ecosystem. But doesn't mean that your business has certainly become bigger. You certainly you become better, right? It's mm-hmm. just that you have more risk capital coming. So I think a passionate entrepreneur with a reason will say, okay, yes, it is the right time for me to raise capital. So let me raise capital, but I will spend it really, really well. I will build the company with first principles. Because I am in for a long haul, I am going to be here for minimum ten years or twenty years or even even lifetime. So therefore, I have to build a reasonable company which has cash flows, revenues, you know, customer happiness. So that is what I'm calling the, you know this is the best example of, of passion with reason. So when people are passionate, you know, everybody just feeds into frenzy, you know, and then just people forget there is a reason behind it.
1: Right. Yeah, I definitely want to revisit that uh, fundraising bit uh, as we progress further and talk about the chapters of the book and so on. Right. So one other value I think you know you briefly touched upon is indexing for the long-term, right? And now this is something that is very difficult to do when you see the world around you sort of breaking, right? And also, I mean, when you look at a founder's life, I mean, every day there's something or the other, some, some crisis or the other, you're in operations mode, uh, right? You're plugging various leaks and so on and so forth, right? In this kind of a mindset, what is your advice to founders on how they can index for the long-term?
0: How can they just pull back from operations and think ahead? No, so by indexing the long-term, I didn't mean that you have to pull back all the time, first of all, right? Yes, pullback is is part of entrepreneur's and or CEO's job, I would say more than entrepreneur's life. I think uh, indexing for long-term means you take decisions which are long-term in nature. So I'll give you an example. When you're looking for your co-founder, when you're building your team, you are building a long-term partnership essentially, right? If your co-founder has to be with you for 10 or 15 years of journey of your your lifetime, Mm -hmm. then you have to think about long-term that can I work with this individual, right? Uh, What are the real value system which brings us together? Skill, of course, is really important. Without it, work, will not happen. So that is indexing for long term. Similarly, when you're choosing your investment partner, right? I am I going to somebody who's going to help me, or I am just looking for money, somebody who's giving me the highest valuation in the first term sheet, right? That is what I call so, so the critical ex- the best example is you have two term sheets, one at you know 10-20 percent higher than than one. Which one are you going to choose? Are you going to also put in the personality behind that? Are you going to look at the firm which is going to help you more? Because you have again going to build for 10-15 years, and this is not the only round you're going to do. And similarly, when you're hiring your employees, are they staying with you for longer term? If they are not, why are they leaving? Are they leaving for the right reasons? So those are what I call indexing for the long-term first support. Now, during the humdrum of, you know, in the initial days, I think it's okay to be very operational because you're going to look for your first customer. You're looking to make your product out. You, you want hustle, right? So the initial zero to one journey is all about hustle, right? And then one to 10 is where you need to start building team, you know, build some basic aspects of sales, marketing, other things into place. That time, maybe you need, you know, 10, 20% of time where strategic thinking is required, but still you're in operating mode. It's really after $10 million where you're, Strategic components start increasing more. So, but when I said indexing for long term, I said your decision making has a bit more long term in nature because entrepreneurship, right. entrepreneurship is a marathon, right? It's not a hundred meter race.
1: Right. Yeah. I guess you have to wait with the with the future in mind, basically, right? Whatever you do. So, with that, uh, you know, let's get to the book. Uh, so, this is a fascinating read for everyone out there. The India SaaS story. I love that it's so easily readable. It's almost scannable, right? I mean, it's split into sections like fundraising, hiring, and so on. So, you can really start anywhere in the book. And it's also a book that uh, I think people will revisit a lot, right? I mean. Kind of like a manual, like an operating manual. Uh, so again, kudos on the book. So how did the book really come out? How did you take time out of your busy schedule to write and compile this book?
0: Uh, thanks, Roshan. I, I'm glad that you like the book. I think the this is paid forward mindset that we have. You know, when grish krish Suresh, and Avinash started SAS in 2015, our idea was to build a community for SaaS. At that time, SAS was like, you know, we a bunch of people in the room trying to figure out what the SaaS is all about. We went through very basic. So over so the last seven years or six and a half years now, if you look at it, we have come, come a long way, right? Of course. The macro opportunity has also played out. So certainly SaaS is, is extremely important to the software world now, but what we, what I thought was, you know, we have done a lot of work over the last seven years and a lot of pay forward work by a community of thousand people has been done in SaaS for me. And the knowledge is not really kind of captured in one place. So today, if, today we are seeing, you know, hundreds and maybe thousands of companies going, entrepreneurs starting SaaS, people are pivoting into SaaS, we are finding some B2C founders coming to SaaS as well. So when they're coming in, how can we get them something? by which they can scale the company faster. Right? A single biggest objective is how do we make India as a product nation, which means how do we Indian companies can scale faster when we're building India for global, right? So therefore, the idea was to create a kind of compendium of learning or mistakes or experience. Experience is nothing but, you know, all the mistakes put together, right? In a way, what went right, what went wrong. So that was the thought process that we should consolidate all the learning that we have with top 25 entrepreneurs. And so that anybody can take this, start anywhere, read about it, understand the experiences. So it is not prescriptive in nature; it's very experiential in nature. It tells you about you know what experiences people went through, and their journey is in that context, right? Like I started in 2004 when nothing was here in terms of product ecosystem. Greece started in 2010. Then other companies started starting in 2015. VMware has come much later, right? And now people are starting in 2022 when things are very different. So now you can look at this book, understand okay what were the initial mistakes made, what are the good points which worked out, and let me see you know what I can take, what I cannot take, and every point in time is different. So it is not going to be directly, you know, relatable, but the learning is going to be pretty much the same. That's reason we also have about 15, 20 key concepts, which are applicable. If you're on the right side pages, we have put the key concepts, which was a timeless concept you required for product building or market opportunity. So that is the idea behind the book. Basically, how can you scale the company faster and therefore help India gain more market share in the SaaS world?
1: Yeah, I kind of think of it as institutional or ecosystem memory, right? In in some sense, I think you're documenting these things that will act as a precedence for, uh, you know, a lot of people coming after, right? I mean, to just see what has happened. uh, And it's also extremely experiential, as you said. I mean, it's not theoretical stuff. I mean, it's people who have gone through this stuff, lived it, and who have sort of uh, uh, gleaned some insights from it, right? These are people that you know, Girish and Krish and so on, right? But did you have any surprises when you were talking to them? I mean, uh, in the process of compiling the book?
0: I think, you know, as I said, we have been involved in SaaS Pumi since 2015. We have thousand companies and we do regular events, this annual events. So there's no surprise as such. We have been tracking the market for a very long period of time. I think the combined knowledge was a surprise for me also. Like what you're saying, you know, ecosystem memory. I think when I look back and look, when I, when I went through this hours and hours of interviews with this, this entrepreneur right? I think the sheer amount of learning that ecosystem has gone through is, is tremendous. I think that was the biggest surprise yeah. for me because in day-to-day life, I have also not realized that, you know, ecosystem has come so far. You don't realize you know unless you sit back and you know talk to people and you know when you compile everything like, oh wow that's like huge amount of fear india has come from almost zero to 100 in this case i would say it is, it is massive massive achievement for an ecosystem to come here
1: yeah no i mean uh so <laughs> i was reading about a story of how one of snap key revenue streams is a SaaS business right now you know and uh that was actually funny to me because you know 10 or 15 years back obviously there you could count perhaps you know how many of these SaaS businesses were right and so you started Eka in 2004 and like I mentioned hardly any product companies or SaaS companies at that time maybe a Zoho or a Tally and you've seen this ecosystem evolve over the last 15 years plus how do you compare what we are seeing right now with how things were that time you know what are those things that have changed and we can perhaps discuss you know some of these things in detail in follow-up questions but broadly you know your top
0: two or three things that have changed in the time. Yeah. So I think I'm a big believer of a macro, first of all, which is a mac- market opportunity. So we have to give a lot of credence to, to the market opportunity, how it has unfolded, right? Way back in 2004, I like started for the enterprise software, right? Which is a license, you know, client server based software, it was not SaaS as such. So market opportunity was very small for Indian companies at that time, because primarily it was license-based software, feet on street model, you know, you have to build Qubit. We have to be in the market to build it. India was a, still not at a software adoption curve, right? As we started going into it by 2010, I think we started seeing an advent of cloud a little bit more. You know, I think Amazon and AWS in Azure started coming in picture a bit more. So therefore cloud started becoming a little bit of mainstream, especially for the SME businesses, right? Because previously, in a, if you look at the client server, only large companies use software. SMEs would never use much of software. So around 2010 times, and that's how you see the advent of, you know, Freshworks and Zoho start becoming very big where they were focused on SME market to start off, right? Now, of course, they're in, in, in mid-market enterprise segments also. So that was the first wave of SaaS where SMB started, you know, buying software on cloud, right? So therefore, they have something which can buy for cheap price, try and buy that, that whole Salesforce kind of era, started the entire era, right? They also started by selling to SMB, if you remember. And after 2015, 16, you know, if you look at it, the enterprise adoption happened in a big way because at that time, you know, entire security, everything, the cloud, even uh, infrastructure of AWS and Azure really, really, you know, also progressed and matured. And therefore, market change will become bigger. And then pandemic happened, right? Where's a 10X on everything, because every, everybody is now going to cloud. So I think the first learning over 2004 to now is that it's a massive macro, which has played in a, uh, you know, it was first software eating the world, now SaaS eating software, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that is kind of macro, which has played out. Right. Number one. Number two, I think, India, you know, we have been trying to build a product nation for a very long time. If you look at it, right. There have been many companies even before SAS, when we started, right. Which have tried, so the macro was not in fit. So in this case, I think what has happened is that we were able to form a community, which could consolidate its knowledge and bring together that has helped a lot. See what we see today is huge amount of startups coming. People are successful, but people don't realize is there's a lot of fundamental work under the hood, which has happened over the last seven years for everybody to come to the scale, right? Today, if you go back in 2015, we didn't know how to build the products for SAS. You know, they will always be, you know, will be always a our products, if you go back to media also, you will see articles, are Indian products matching with the Silicon Valley products, right? Today, that's not even a, nobody even asked the question. Yeah. Today, we're at par or something even better than products created anywhere in the globally, right? Today, the question is, narrative is, can we sell and market as effectively as those companies do? So that always happened because, you know, we have built that entire knowledge base consistently and built upon it and continue the belief. I think these are the two biggest learning. One is how market landscape has evolved. And number two is your entire system uh, ecosystem learning that has come together. And I think that's where I, uh, you know, kudos to all the people who have contributed so much to this ecosystem volunteers and people who have been at it. So I think these are the two biggest learning from a market growth perspective
1: no for sure i think uh, the sheer amount of product talent that we've uh, gotten over the last 10 12 years i mean it's it's just mind boggling i would say right i mean you pick up any indian saas product i mean i think it's equally if not better than some of the international products out there look
0: at postman and all they are like yeah, yeah exactly yeah.
1: There, yeah. yeah and postman i think probably uh, i don't know 50 million 100 million developers uh, using it uh, across the world right? which is again rivals perhaps github uh, in the in the scale uh, of its use and
0: stuff adoption and
1: stuff will, so same
0: browser stack, right they built right. Uh, testing automation suite and, you know, they're building for people in the internet. So massive. Yeah. So when you
1: talk to founders these days, you know, I mean, how are they different? Because some of the things, I mean, we've, we've hosted 150 plus founders on the podcast and some things that I see right now that were, that are extremely different are Obviously a lot more ambitious, right? Way beyond uh, what it was uh, earlier, right? Also a lot more savvy, you know, I mean, earlier the quintessential founder was uh, someone who found a problem to solve when he started building the product, right? But now, I mean, people are, you know, cognizant of the market that they're operating in. They're a lot more educated about the different stakeholders in that market. What are the priorities? What are the challenges, et cetera? They really have a very sound knowledge of the market also, right? So, So when you talk to founders, you know, what are some things that you see different?
0: I think you said the right things. I think obviously ambitious. I think ambition was also there before. Even the people who came in 2014, they always always were ambitious as well. Maybe the scale of ambition has changed. But I think the biggest thing I see, and this is kind of for emotion more, I think it's the belief. I think it's the belief that I, I'm going to build a scalable world-class company here. So now people don't even, you know, if you go back, people were thinking about, can you build a hundred million dollar business? People are talking about billion dollars in different right? So I think the scale is totally different and the belief is, is a totally different level altogether, right? And of course, the, the quality of entrepreneurs also change a lot. I think we are seeing very much better talent coming in, you know, really, really good people who are leaving their jobs or, or coming out of uh, very good institutes and starting up as teams. And in B2B, you know, it's not a winner takes all market. Against B2C where there'll be one Flipkart and one Amazon and one Facebook you know b2b you know you can have you know crm for example if you look at salesforce only has 20% market share of the crm market so 80% is still with you know maybe another 20 50 30 players right there are 500 companies ymo is in crm right so there are 500 companies in the crm space itself so that's another advantage that we see but in terms of the biggest change is belief and the scale of ambition i think not just ambition
1: Right. I think another facet is how people are building for the global audience from day one. Right. I mean, earlier, I mean, it used to be, you know, built for India, maybe scaled to Southeast Asia, APAC, and then maybe Europe or Asia, right? I mean, that whole path would take, you know, five to six years, maybe uh, before you start selling to a global audience. But today, I mean, people think from day one, they think, uh, you know, global, right? And and of course, I mean, COVID has made uh, things plenty easier on that front, right? I mean, with Zoom sales and and so on, right?
0: Yeah. So, so I think the biggest... Another big change is I've, I've also a chapter in the book called India Advantage. If you look at it, if you flip to that, I think you will see yeah. what the biggest change in favor of Indian entrepreneurs in India is the digital go market advent of digital go-to-market. Today, you can do desk selling to SMB and to enterprise sitting in India. Mm-hmm. that i think is a game changer and also customer success from india right so that i think is a game changer now whether it will remain 100 percent or it will be some hybrid model yes we'll have to remain and see but fact that now you from india you can build the entire go-to-market motion is going to be a game-changing for india to scale because previously if you look at it founders necessarily have to move to the us they have to hire people in the us while you can do that but that put you in disadvantage with somebody who was already born and brought up in the us environment yeah. right Now, if you're able to build a company in your environment, you know, scale the people and technology and company sitting here, that is going to be a huge advantage to us. I think. Right. I think the market and customer success, I think is a big, big, big change. Absolutely.
1: I think the next leap, uh, next big leap forward for us will be the sales and marketing talent that will develop in India. I feel right. To catapult the product talent that we already have. Yeah. I mean, that, that's an exciting change that will uh, happen over the next five, 10 years. uh, I think. Right. Fundraising used to be very different earlier. Right. I mean, uh, I think around about the time you were, uh, you started Eka, I think there was a, there was perhaps Helion Partners and Axel. I mean, those are two names that I recall. Today, SaaS is so hot that uh, everyone has some sort of a thesis and everyone is investing in SaaS, right? There is no single VC who don't focus on SaaS as much. How has, you know, fundraising changed in that time, right? And how should funder, how should founders look at this availability of capital itself in terms of attracting the right kind of money, deploying it the right way and, and so on?
0: Like, I think that is linked to the market opportunity. 2004... 2004- very little market opportunity, very fitness understanding. And 2010 onwards, some bit as the same, I think it has followed the curve of market opportunity. 2019 onwards after pandemic, it is a confirmed secular trend that SaaS is going to replace your software, enterprise software, step by step, step by step. 20% Twenty percent per annum. So that is confirmed across the board, right? Because all enterprises and en mass is moving to cloud, right? Mm. So therefore, money is going to chase that opportunity. So therefore, you're seeing more investment coming into the market. Number two, the interest rates have been very low, right? You saw that you know huge amount of money got yeah. printed in the pandemic. So there's more money available than it ever has been, right? Three to three, three and a half trillion dollars got printed. That's a huge amount of money, right? And which asset class is giving more return? It is software. Yeah. Whether it's B2C, whether it's B2B, or other forms of technology, right? So therefore, the allocation of capital towards technology has increased in a massive way. So therefore, more money flowing in, more money flowing in, which means more fund managers or existing funds have more money to deploy capital. So therefore, the availability of the capital for the technology software is going to remain big in, in the coming years. That is number one. So therefore, if I'm an entrepreneur, it's an advantage to me that I can now as you said, my ambition is very big. I want to scale the company faster, make a really big business. So therefore I will raise proper capital, but I would use it really on first principles. That is the biggest learning for entrepreneurs. Raise capital at the right time, but use it really to build your business with first principles. And that's what, you know, I learned a lot from old economy businesses, the Tata's and Reliance. You know, they, it's not that they don't, they also have to raise billions of capital, but look at the utilization. They build real businesses with real money, mm-hmm. with real people. So that's what I think the B2B has to follow the same curve. And services, IT services is another great example, right? They build the entire 100 billion billion industry without even raising much capital, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. But if you look at some of the valuation multiples, right? I mean, it's kind of scary at this point of time, right? I mean, like I saw some recent funding news where someone had a 60x uh, forward multiple, in fact, on projected revenue, right? Which is, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that must impute like a tremendous pressure on the founders to sort of deliver, right, the founders and their leadership teams and so on to deliver on those staggering growth numbers. Right. And and these are not, you know, I'm not talking about late stage sort of things, right. I mean, even series A, series B type of companies. So how do you weigh that, you know, I mean, how, what would your advice be to founders in terms of like these kind of things, right. I mean, money, valuation, looking at the next two years, looking, thinking of the next round uh, and so on and so forth.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, so valuation has two, two, three dimensions to it, right. First is when you're raising capital. So when you raise capital, you raise a good valuation, then you use it properly. That's one, one part of it. Second is if you're raising at 60x, you have to look at in 18 to 24 months' time when you raise your next round, how you're going to look, right? If you raise too high, then you have to achieve a lot, as you're saying, before your second round happens, right? Or the next round happens. So it really assesses that, will I be able to go to that round? You know, what can I achieve with this money that I have raised? So therefore, if you're able to, you know, excel your sales, build the product, go to the next level, of course, your you will still continue to get good money. And third, and which is very important, is that all this valuation only has meaning when a, when a company gets or, or a, or a Entrepreneur gets an exit. there's all paper money, right? You can be very happy yeah. saying, you know, my, I'm a unicorn or I'm whatever I've reached. But I have to, we have to go for an exit. And I'm not talking about exit it means just selling the company. It could be an IPO. It could be real revenues. So ultimately, basically, what I'm saying is, unless you're able to utilize the capital, you need cash flows and revenues, you are not yeah. going to get a valuable company. I would not bother too much about you know, multiple going up and down. Multiples have already come down by half now. It's no, no yeah. more 60x. You know, it's market is now trading at you know 10x, 12x, 15x multiple, right? So private market will also soften. Typically, there's a lag of three to nine months, depending on how much money is available in the market. So valuation often, you know, will come down from the highs, but you're building for 10 years, right? So if you look at 10 year horizon, you should look at what the valuation will be in 10 years time, not three.
1: Right. In terms of skill and talent itself, right? I mean, again, we've come a long way in terms of this, right? And, and you mentioned like over the last 10 years, how product talent has grown, grown and so on. So if you kind of objectively look at the skills and talents required to build a SaaS company today, right? Where are we sort of lagging behind? What can we do to sort of catch up with, let's say, Silicon Valley? And uh, do you see that happening? Uh, do you see like some yeah. trends on that front?
0: So i tell you, see, if you look at it, as I said, they've been able to product pretty pretty decently, right? I think at a, at a global scale. Where we have lacked so far historically is investing in go-to-market at the same scale. You know, in McKinsey report, we did a benchmark also. The Indian companies typically spend only 25% of their revenues into GTM, as against the US, companies to 60%, right? So there is a hmm. massive difference there. Not only the scale of investment, also the time of investment. You pretty much have to start building a go-to-market motion or start thinking about it as you started building a product right from the start. Hmm. That was not happening in parts, A, lack of knowledge, B, lack of capital as well, right? But now as more capital is available, people are taking bigger risk. You have the option to start building go to market motion as you're building a your product. That's the biggest thing which has to change, which is beginning to change as well now. I think people are very aware. Now they're looking for talent who can help with that. So our real crunch is coming in talent actually. Now money is available, awareness is there, but talent is not there. Like you said, we still have to build the sales talent. right? We still don't find inside sales people at the same scale. We still don't find marketing people at the same scale. We still don't find product managers at the same scale. And of course, engineering crunch is also going on with the entire great transition wave going on. So I think talent crunch is going to hurt us a little bit in the short term.
1: Right. You speak very passionately about the post-sales and customer success uh, function. And that's something that I'm also really interested in. Because oftentimes in SaaS, I mean, you realize that there's so much money on the table, right? I mean, even past the first time that uh, you contract with a customer, what are two or three things that have worked really well for you and that people should uh, definitely mind when they're building these uh, functions out?
0: I think, first of all, I think most of the things starts with the awareness. If entrepreneur knows that customer is going to be very important for me because his churn, his lifetime value, and it's my relationship with those customers. Uh, so that is the first part. Then I think after that, it's a question of allocating the capital and hiring people for it. I think today you you find a lot of services-oriented people. I think a lot of services, people coming from services firm are also very focused on customer success. I think then it is talking about how do you put those account managers or customer CSMs, customer success managers, allocate them across your accounts. I think the magic will start happening.
1: Right. So the book is full of learnings, lessons, everything, right? And I'm just curious for founders who are listening, what are some three mistakes that they should avoid? You know, three killer mistakes that they should really stay away from.
0: I think the first mistake is get the founding team right. If your founding team is not right, you're going to continue to fight with each other and you know get your founding team. Getting yeah. right is critical to success and critical to your mental peace to build a business first, right? So that is the first thing you have to get. Second thing, which I think still people, I see is a little bit weaknesses is an understanding of market opportunity. A lot of time you start building first thing that come to you or even you pick up some things you don't spend enough time upfront to focus on the market opportunity. So if you really want to build a good business, your market opportunity, at least you have to have a very good understanding of market opportunity. That'll help you a lot after a few years, once you get to some revenue, right? Because you don't want to get stuck at $5 million. And no, my market was too small. Now I have to pivot or do something else because that's going to lose time. and, And you don't, may not get investment as well. So, so I think understanding that market opportunity, which geography, which area, what horizontal, vertical, that I think is is a mistake I would avoid. I would focus, uh, focus a lot on it. And third is invest and go to market from day one. I would not wait to invest and go to market.
1: Yeah. So I want to pick up on the second one that you mentioned, right? I mean, which is the market opportunity asset. So if you look at a lot of, I won't say a lot, but some SaaS solutions, right? I mean, they're still coming off as a nice to have because maybe I guess, I mean, that adoption curve hasn't happened. And in fact, I feel any solution will go from a nice to have to a need to have. Now for founders who are kind of in that journey, right? Going from a nice to have to a need to have, what are some two or three things that they should optimize for and that will make that transition quicker, faster, more seamless for them?
0: Okay, when I was talking market opportunity, I was talking about even the mission critical software. The market has to be understood, but another dimension is a lot of new categories getting come, uh, coming. Right, Dev tools, for example, so many tools so you have mm-hmm. to build, manage your infrastructure, performance, cloud, cloud u- user interfaces, uh, API where Postman is an example. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have to understand how if you're an infrastructure player, you have to understand how is that coming? Nice to have. And the other is I think you just have to go and understand and talk to your customer in the market. For example, culture building. Now we're all in the remote. I'll give you an example, live example, right? We are in a remote work right now. Now, how do you build culture in the remote? So if I bring up a software which can help you in building the culture remotely, will you adopt it today? You know, most of people think there's no ROI, I can get onto Zoom or I can get onto a team. So now so entrepreneurs have to work extra hard mm-hmm. to really prove the ROI and saying, okay, this is important to you and this is looking to be important. Like what Slack did with, with the entire collaboration, right? They literally mm-hmm. kind of brought collaboration to the forefront without that before that, you know, collaboration was problem, but it was nice to have, right. We'll say, okay, fine, we have emails and we'll figure it out. We will meet, there'll be calls and Slack kind of created a category of collaboration.
1: Yeah. No, Slack is a great example. Actually, I think back in 2012, 2013, uh, you know, people perhaps uh, exchanged files on Slack and had random chats, but then I mean, today it's the workspace for remote, right? As they call it. So Um, that's
0: where nice to have turns to, turns to have must have now. So what I'm saying is it it follows the trend. So as more technology comes, happens, you know, you tend to get more and more usage. Right.
1: So this category creation is a critical thing that people are going after right now, right? I mean, uh, everyone literally wants to create a category and, and there are so many of these examples like Drift, for example, with conversational marketing and so on and so forth. What are your thoughts on category creation? Does it happen organically? Is it something that you can plan for on day one? What would like, What would you do at this point of time if you had to create a
0: category? I think categorization ultimately is serving a fundamental need. somewhere. I think it's understanding of that basic fundamental need, which makes a difference. People are able to adopt and shape those needs Typically, so basically your need to do work efficiently, always remain to look at even word document. And then now notion is coming and, you know, all those companies are coming in. It is shaping up your need. This is how your the world around you is changing. So categorization is happening. This is that right. Email was the most productive tool out there before that, right? So people created more Google Gmail came and the other, you know, enterprise software companies who focus on automating your entire email experience right and then you know in this case slack picked up that you know it's not only email it's your exchange of documents it's problems so let me make the life simpler so i think so category creation uh, companies or entrepreneurs have to think that how do i make my life simpler for the end user i am focused on like what notion is doing notion is a great example right? it's a combination of your excel word a little bit of database a little bit of you know everything together because today I'm doing all those things. I have Google Sheets, I have Google presentations, I have Google. So I'm doing three things in three different documents, right? Mm-hmm. So Notion kind of brought everything together and kind of creating a new operating system of work for people. Okay. So it is changing the behavior. So I think so categorization typically happens with get insight into the need and then shaping up the behavior around that.
1: Right. So I will stop at this. I mean, I, I, there are plenty of facets that, you know, we can delve into, but I really want people to pick up the book and read it because it's, a, it's an amazing book. I have a last couple of questions left. What do you hope the book will achieve? You know, what will make you happy a year from now, maybe three years from now, when you look back on this project?
0: Yeah. If somebody says, you know, I started SaaS company, I picked a book I learned and I made less number of mistakes and therefore I've scaled faster. That is the biggest compliment.
1: I'm sure uh, that will happen. Also, what are your plans for the future now? I mean, you're you're straddling multiple things, right? There's Eka, of course, and then there is SAS Bumi and the Together Fund and so on, right? So what do you have planned personally and professionally for the next like 18 months or so?
0: So I think I I see it all as a a passion to build India as a product nation. That's what I'm saying. I'll be very happy when India gains more market share in the software world, basically. So all these initiatives are towards that. So we just continue to scale those. I think we are in a, I'm in a very good position, just continue to scale things that there, which can lead us to gain more market share globally. That's a real passion I have. I, I'm really driven by that.
1: Right. I think, uh, you know, I read somewhere, you have this ethos of seva. I think that is reflected in a uh, lot of the stuff that uh, you're doing, which is pretty amazing and also very inspiring to know. Uh, before we leave you, Manav, uh, any books or podcasts uh, that you would recommend? Of course, I mean, this book is a must read, uh, but any other books that you would recommend?
0: You know, my favorite book, of course, you know, I I got exposed to Bhagavad Gita very early in my life. I was very fortunate, you know, my grandparents used to read that quite often. And I took a more scholarly route to that. So that is my go to all time favorite book. I suggest it to everybody, it also helpful in your mindfulness. It gives you answer to a lot of things which you may not know today. And every time you read it, you can find different answers from it. So I would say that people, front-repentant, that's a must-read book.
1: Yeah. It's the book of books, I would say, right? It's the true epic. Yeah, it is. Right. So thank you so much, Manav. This was a fascinating chat and thank you again for writing this book. I think it's extremely important uh, and it'll be super useful for all the founders out there who are going to build uh, the next billion dollar SaaS company. Thank you so much.
0: Enjoy the conversation. Roshan. Thank you. Thanks Absolutely. Manav.
1: Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, then don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite platform and share this episode with all of your fellow startup operators. Also follow the startup operator on LinkedIn and Twitter for more updates. Stay safe, take care and see you soon on a brand new episode of the Startup Operator.